Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. What does your coffee order say about you? I'm pleased to say that I'm a flat white. Uh, but sometimes a pumpkin spice latte as well, so arrogant and needy. Um, now, if you're a cappuccino or a latte, you're not on this graphic, but you'll be pleased to know that the article that I read uh, did cover you. <laughs> cappuccino, well, I believe it was reasonably disparaging, um, and um, something about not really understanding coffee. Latte, a kind person but very boring. I've uh, been pleased to see Nick, our youth minister, uh, really start to embrace the Melbourne coffee culture. He came down uh, from Warragul, was probably a latte man. Now he's a, oh, I don't know, a pour-over, cold drip, something or other, single origin, also flat white. Uh, so, <laughs> oh dear. Of course, uh, if you take someone's coffee order, then you know everything about them and you judge them accordingly. Uh, so if you make me order a cappuccino on your behalf, uh, I will love you. And also, it's my mother's coffee order. Um, but I will also be arrogant about my own. It's sad. Uh, there are other things, of course, that we could uh, judge each other on. What school we went to, what footy team we barrack for. Uh, I'm sure you know which one is the best. Um, Perhaps more seriously, you know, what party we voted for, uh, what policies we're particularly concerned about. And then when it comes to uh, theology or church, what church do you go to? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Um, when I was uh, having my interviews for ordination a long time ago, we knew that you had to say certain words uh, if you had the theology part of the interview with someone from Ridley College and certain words if you had uh, someone from Trinity College. And if you, if you got someone from Ridley College, you had to say um, propitiation and substitutionary atonement. Uh, and then you weren't allowed to say those words uh, if you uh, were talking to someone from the other college. Uh, if you know, you know. That's all right. Um, now, of course, Jesus faced similar moments of people trying to work out exactly who he was. Where did he fit? Who did he eat with? What did he eat? Well, they didn't have coffee, but uh, who did he, uh, where did he come from? What was his hometown? And then, of course, when it came to politics and theology... That's where the tests really lay. So we see in all the synoptic gospels, Mark, Luke and Matthew, that there is a moment where he is tested on the law. Of all the commandments, they say to him, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, perhaps if you had been given this question, which of the commandments is the greatest, your mind would have gone straight to the Ten Commandments, maybe. Possibly if you're of a certain generation, other generations may not even have heard of the Ten Commandments. Which is the most important? Don't steal, keep the Sabbath, could be any. But for Jesus and his contemporaries, the law didn't just mean the Ten Commandments. The law was everything that God had given to the people of Israel to live as his people, both ritual, ceremonial, and uh, moral. And so it was quite the test, quite the shibboleth, if you will, of his correctness as a Jew. And his answer was spot on. This did not distinguish him as a radical. This put him right in the center of Israel's faith. He declared the Shema. This is a pillar which is outside the Israeli parliament. I think it's called the Knesset. Um, And this has on it Shema Israel. My Hebrew is nowhere near as good as Pedram's. And it means here, O Israel. This is the center of Israel's understanding of the law. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. Listen, Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh one, or Yahweh only. Now, you and I sometimes come at the declaration that God is one as maybe something to do with the unity uh, of the Trinity, thinking about who God is in God's self, But this is not that. This is a declaration of allegiance. Israel, you have a God and he is the only one you should serve. It's very similar to the start of the Ten Commandments, actually. You shall have no other gods before me. And the Ten Commandments are in Deuteronomy chapter 5, so we've skipped over them. But really, this is a restatement in the positive. You shall have no other gods. Have Yahweh, Yahweh alone. But you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There is something uh, very special about a type of church like ours that expects worship to be felt, for there to be passion, for us not just to come to church uh, because it's the right thing to do 
and to recite the things because that is our duty or to expect that maybe taking communion uh, is something that we do almost medicinally for our spiritual health, we expect that God will be at work and that our affections, our emotions will be stirred. It is right. It is good. But is that what is meant here by love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength? Is this about your feelings? What happens when you don't feel really into it today? What if Megan's singing off-key and it's just really putting you off? In the ancient Near East, there were uh, similar documents to Deuteronomy Deuteronomy is the fifth book in our Bible, and Deuteronomy means second law. And it's like a statement of an agreement or a covenant between a king or a conqueror and his people. It's like uh, what they would call a suzerain-vassal treaty. So it declares what the conqueror has done, and what the people owe to the conqueror. And they would write these documents out and they would uh, put them in the temple of their deity to give them the spiritual stamp of approval. But they did include the call to love. And it really did not include anything to do with affection. Because if you are a conquered people, you might declare that your conqueror is now the king of your land, but you really don't feel a loving warmth toward that person. But nobody cared. Love was a relationship of service where you did what was best for the king the emperor, the pharaoh. It was a sense of duty, honour and allegiance, obedience. In contrast, we have a monarch who is celebrating her 70th jubilee. And if we're in the UK, apparently the celebrations are just massive, big hype, amazing. And this monarch is beloved. Her approval ratings, apparently, as people measure these things, are beyond what any politician could dream of and always have been. And uh, Queen Elizabeth II, unlike probably any other royal who will follow her, held and holds an amazing affection in people's hearts. She has persevered. She has put the country and the role, uh, the institution before her own needs. She has gone through so much and people love her for it. Obedience, however, is another matter. People can hold her in high regard, but she has very little power over them and over the Commonwealth. 
and more and more nations, of course, particularly perhaps uh, when uh, her son or grandson takes over, may feel, yeah, we're done. Biblical love, Old Testament love, the love that was being called forth from the people of God to God was a little bit of all of these things, but not any one. Biblical love did have the decision, will, duty, obedience part, but it did have the affection, the emotion, the devotion as well, because God was worth it. God had earned it. God had rescued his people. He was not simply a conqueror coming in over the top and saying, give me your allegiance. God had gotten down in the trenches with the people and rescued them out of slavery and had promised them an abundant land. And so when the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, it is obedience and devotion. It is an act of the will and a feeling of the inner person. Now, when you and I hear this, particularly from Jesus' lips, and we hear heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind, I think, just being a little bit of an expansion of the Hebrew idea of heart into the Greek. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment. When we hear that, we, I think, I do, think of all the parts of me. You know, I need to love God with my, with my thoughts and my feelings, my strength, everything that's within me. But the problem with that is that it can lead me to feel that my faith should be a very individual, private thing. God is calling me to have love for him that comes out of my inner person. But in fact, what is happening here is that this is a picture of the ever-expanding spheres of life that God is calling me to love him from. So there is the internal. Lev, the heart, which also is the mind. It's not just the place where you sing love songs from. It is about your feelings, your will, the seat of uh, your action. Your thoughts and feelings, yes devotion and obedience. But more than that, the second part is not just an internal extra bit of me, it is my whole self. Nefesh is the idea of the whole person, every part of me. Everywhere I go, everything I do, everything that is me. There is no compartmentalizing. There is no God time and other time. It's all given to God. And then finally, me'od, which we sometimes translate strength or um, sometimes might. My whole 
substance, everything that I have, everything that makes up my power, my economic and social strength, every relationship that I have, all that I have and all that uh, I can influence. So yes, it's all of me, but it isn't just an internal, individual, private thing. This is to love God in ever-expanding spheres of action and influence. I love, still love going into the CBD. I don't know why. I grew up in Mitcham, and people were like, you know, going into town, I'm going into town. Um, and like, I was in there during the week, and it was freezing. Uh, but I still get excited. I'm in the city. I'm a fancy business lady. Um, I can get Starbucks at like Shopo, but I still want to get it in the CBD. Anyway, uh, here, I love to think of all the parts that make up our city. There's the religious aspect, St. Paul's, my HQ. Uh, there's Federation Square. There's, you know, public transport. There's all the entertainment precinct, kind of from where the photo's being taken. All business, retail, everything that makes up what we engage with in life. And the Shema Israel, what God's heart is, is for every single part of that city. And every single moment in your home, in your workplace, what you do online, what you do in the privacy of your room, everything is to be included in this life of love to God, obedience and devotion. And that is why we don't just have a hear and love in this passage. We have impress, talk, bind, and write. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Teach them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you go to Flinders Street Station, when you're on Swanson Street, when you wherever, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That is, uh, metaphorically, whatever you do and whatever you think about, your action and your attitude have these laws, these commandments, right there. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And that is not just the gate to your property, the city gate. Everything that you do as a person in your society, in your community, you are to talk, bind, write, impress these laws so that your sphere of loving God might be 
ever expanding. When we come to church sometimes, um, we think that our job is to listen. I mean, I love that, of course. Um, you know, and my, I've told you before of my nightmares of people just like talking while I'm up the front. Um, <laughs> don't do it as a joke. <laughs> but actually, our job as a church, yes, it's to listen, but it's to talk. We're supposed to talk about what God is saying, what God is up to, what God is calling us to do. We're supposed to help our children and each other's children learn about these things. We're supposed to be able to, at home and at church and taking a walk with a friend and at growth group, be able to talk about what God is like and what God is doing. And that's what really the rest of the passage is about. And uh, there's a lot of repetition in these first uh, 11 chapters, so we'll cover some of this in the, in the coming weeks. But this really is the same. When you come out of, uh, when you go into the land, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, be sure to keep the commands the Lord your God has given you. Let me take one moment to talk about this do not put the Lord your God to the test. We know that Jesus said when he was confronted by Satan, uh, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. What did he mean? Well, I think a really helpful way of understanding it is to think about putting someone to the test as being guilty until proven innocent. We, in our legal system, want to have someone innocent until proven guilty. Putting someone to the test is saying, I will not believe that you are good, that you love me, that you are able, that you are powerful, unless you prove it by doing this, 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 and this. But God does not need to be put to the test because not only has he created all things, but here he has already taken the people out of the land of Egypt and he will bring them into the promised land. God has shown his love. And so he does not need to be tested and he ought not be tested. Then we're to impress them upon our children. It says, in the, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these things, tell him. And uh, if you've ever done the Passover, you know that's a big part of it, passing it on to the next generation. So that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. I hope you felt nervous. That's actually a huge call. Don't test God. He is jealous. Tell your kids. Bring them up. Walk it out. Do it everywhere. Talk about it. And if you do that, then you will be righteous. 
That makes me terribly nervous. Because I do not get that right. I don't find it easy to talk about it all the time. I don't really know always how to shape Phoebe as she grows as a Christian child into a teen. I certainly don't keep every law perfectly myself. Surely this is an impossible command. This picture I found of a young Israeli soldier praying daily, tying the law to his hand or to his arm there and to his forehead was very confronting because the mere fact that he is in his army fatigues means that the promise that God made to the people of Israel that they would prosper and live in peace is not the case. He is defending a homeland that has been given to him very recently, that has many claims upon it, and his land in many ways is full of violence. Surely, even though he is praying as he has been commanded to in the Shema, he is not seeing the prosperity promised. I want to ask the question then, is there a way? And on this day of Pentecost, is it possible that the impossible command is actually within our grasp? The Old Testament knows that the people cannot keep this command. It's not something that they thought they would be able to do forever. They saw how they failed and failed and failed to the point where Ezekiel would say that the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. The people could not keep that command. And there had to be a promise of another day, a new covenant where a new heart and a new spirit would be given to the people so that they would truly be able to love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And this is exactly what the book of Hebrews says is happening in the ministry of Jesus. Sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as a gift of power, but I want to begin for us to say that the Holy Spirit is first and foremost a gift of love. Because if you read both Deuteronomy 5 and Deuteronomy 6, you see that this is where the Lord starts. I have loved you. I have done this for your good. I have rescued you. I have promised you. I will give to you. This is grace and love and it predicates any obedience. 
But so many of us spend our whole lives questioning the love of God for the world and the love of God for us. It might be that you look around and you go, God cannot be loving. Or it may be that you feel in yourself, God cannot love me. The New Testament tells us that in order to live a life of love to God, we must know that he first loved us. And so the Holy Spirit gives us this new heart to love God, to give love to him and receive love from him. And the Spirit acts to pour the love of God directly into our hearts so that we can love out of response to love not out of fear or duty. Romans 5 talks about our justification through Jesus Christ. That is, we've been made right, but our obedience then, our perseverance, comes from the love that God pours into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you find it hard to follow God in these ever-increasing spheres, to love God, can I suggest that maybe where you need to start is to know the love of God for you, to really know that God so loved the world and you that he gave his son, that you can see underpinning every moment, every breath, the love of a being who is love. Because you can't respond with obedience and devotion, true heartfelt, mindfelt love, if you don't think that he loved you first. This is the work of the Spirit. And then secondly and finally, there is power. Maybe you think, I do know God loves me. I'd like to say, actually, I think most of us are so broken and have experienced so much rejection and trauma and mess that we really could all know more of God's love more and more and more until we get to heaven. But maybe you think that's not my issue. My issue is I just can't do it. I keep falling. I keep failing. I don't want to say cruel things to my children or to my partner or at my work, but I do. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to look at pornography, but I do. Romans 8 says that there is power from the Holy Spirit. Power to escape the condemnation that you feel in the failure. But power to obey. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free 
the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You do not any longer have to live according to the power of your sinful self, what Paul sometimes calls the flesh. You now can access the spirit's power to change. We are going to spend some time extended in worship. And uh, during this time, I want to invite every one of you to come and receive prayer for a greater work of the Holy Spirit within you. Perhaps it will be that knowledge of God's love for you. Perhaps it will be the lifting of the burden of condemnation. Perhaps it will be power, power to change, power to serve, power to see God's love expressed and expanding in every sphere of life. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We're going to sing Holy Spirit Come. And then there will be a number of people up the front here, just like if you're coming up to receive communion. Uh, and I encourage you just to come. This is not, oh, I, I, you know, I've got a huge burden. I need to receive prayer. I'd love to see everyone. It will be 30 seconds, or if you need more, as long as you need, to have that person pray for you, pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you more, pray that you will know God's love, and uh, you will find... Uh, if you want to request a certain thing, but you will find uh, that you are set free to hear and respond to the loving God with the love that he is worthy of. Mm -hmm.